Amen. Please be seated. You can open your Bible to John chapter 12. We'll look at the very end of John 12 today, verses 44 through 50. And the text is printed in the bulletin there. Uh, It is possible to think of Jesus in several different ways biblically. It's not just possible, it's good. We should think of Jesus uh, from from a lot of angles. There's lots of facets to who he is and what he's done, his work. Uh, We can think of him several different ways, biblically speaking. He's the king of kings. He's the great high priest. He's the sacrificial lamb the atoning sacrifice that we need in our relationship with God. He's the the chief deacon. He's the suffering servant. And he's wiser than Solomon. He's the preacher. He's the great prophet like Moses. And uh, in our passage this morning, John is setting Jesus forth in his role as this great prophet, this great preacher who brings God's message to the people. It's the, it's the closing of the curtains on the first act of the gospel, and uh, John is recording now for us Jesus crying out publicly, which, when he says that, it conveys the sense that this is his last word to the, to the crowds. This is his last word to the, the public audiences. He, he's preaching his final summary sermon to the crowds, and preachers sometimes think about what that would be like, about, <clears throat> about what their final sermon would be. If I knew that I had just one last chance to preach, what would I say? What's the most important thing I can think of to say? What sermon would distill the whole gospel counsel of God, my whole preaching ministry? What what would that one sermon be? And honestly, I don't think I'm wise enough to make that judgment. I'll probably just say something about Jesus from whatever the next passage is. Uh, That's my best shot. I have asked myself if I could only preach one more book, what would it be? One more book from the scriptures, and that's why we're going through John's gospel. Um, I'm hoping that doesn't mean it's my final sermon series. Uh, who knows? Maybe we'll make it through and move on to something else after that. We'll find out in a couple of years, probably. <laughs> but, uh, but Jesus knew. He knew that it was his last chance to preach a sermon in public. And he knew very well what was going to happen after this, and he knew exactly what he wanted to say, he knew what he most wanted people to hear, and this is it. This is it. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. So let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, send your help, send your spirit to renew our hearts and minds, to transform us so that we would be able to receive your son's word with faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who has sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. 
and I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. So Jesus is preaching. This is his last, again, public sermon. It's to a world that needs saving. That much is clear from his entire ministry and from all the, the scriptures. He's preaching to a world that needs saving. That is to say, he's addressing a world where the primary problem is sin. It's what we've done to break our relationship with God. That's the primary problem. That's what we need saving from. People have arrayed ourselves against him, against Jesus, against God. He's preaching to a crowd who, when the next time they meet, they'll be calling for his blood. Crucify him. Crucify him. That's the next time we see the crowds in the gospel. So if I were in his shoes, I probably would have made my last sermon something more like, Adios, y'all are a bunch of jerks. Thanks for all the heartache. I hope you get what's coming to you. Right? I mean, thankfully Jesus is not like me, and his last sermon is really good. (laughs) Uh, But in order to understand how good it is, you've got to keep in mind that contrast, that kind of contrast. He doesn't preach like we would do in his circumstances. Maybe I'd be trying desperately if I saw what was coming, and I knew that the next time I got to address this crowd, actually they'd be shouting for my crucifixion, Um, I'd be trying desperately to convince these people not to kill me. Out of fear. I would use flattery or I'd appeal to some common human sentiment or put things in a pragmatic light. Really, it's not expedient to kill me or, or I'd employ guilt and shame tactics or I'd make promises. How if you don't kill me, I'll do this or that. Whatever would work to win them over to my side so that further conflict would be avoided. But Jesus isn't interested in avoiding the coming conflict. That doesn't control his life, avoiding conflict. He isn't interested in self-preservation at any cost. He's compelled by love, and he proclaims the truth in love To his hearers. This is what he says in verse 46 I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. They're in darkness now until I've come, but now I've come so that they'd be taken out of the darkness. I'm the light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. He's thinking about the good of the people that he came for. He came to enlighten them with himself, with who he is and his teaching and his works. He came to enlighten people, and he's thinking about their good. He doesn't want us to remain in darkness. He came to dispel our darkness, and he's the only one who can truly do that for us because he is the light. He is the light. John Calvin said, if if all the wisdom of the world were gathered into one Not a spark of true light would be found in that huge heap. On the contrary, it would be formless chaos, for it belongs to Christ alone to deliver us from darkness. True light, true wisdom, true revelation that comes from the God who is at the heart of reality. If we we pit ourselves against him, if we reject the light 
and we deny him, then how can we have anything of true light, of true wisdom, of true knowledge of God? Remaining in the darkness if we reject the true light, the one who is the true light from God. As long as our instincts and our thoughts and our ways are controlled by sin, that relational opposition that we have to God, as long as our lives are controlled by that, then by definition we will have no true wisdom because we won't have relationship with God, the one who is the light and the wisdom that we need. As long as all our endeavors in life are self-centered, as long as we are searching for satisfaction apart from the one true God, as long as we're looking to create ourselves and determine our own identities and justify our own existence apart from him, we will remain in the dark. That's what Jesus says. All of our wisdom will amount to strategies doomed to failure, to end in death. Because fundamentally, we've aligned ourselves against the God who is himself life and light and true wisdom. So common sense, whatever the world talks about, whatever it means by that, um, common sense, street smarts, being savvy about how the world works, being able to work the system, having the know-how, maybe those things will make you rich or famous or powerful or produce successful children. But that isn't the same as true biblical wisdom, true, true enlightenment. Jesus alone is the wisdom from God we need for true life. He's the true light that we need if we are actually to emerge from the darkness. And in spite of the fact that, that we, for our part, in this relationship, have closed our hearts to him, and chosen the darkness. In spite of that, he came into the world to shed his light upon us. He came, he says, to save the world, to save us from ourselves, to save us from that choice of death that we've made in our sin. He, he, he said he's come to save the world. Now, of course, it doesn't feel that way. It doesn't feel that way. There's no greater conflict than between the light and the dark. We know who wins that conflict, but there's, there's no greater opposition. There's no greater contrast. And when things live and lurk about in the dark and a bright light shines, then they scurry, right? When you turn on the bedroom light at 2 a.m., it hurts and I get angry and I say, what's wrong with you? When you shine a light on my human situation, on the mess I've gotten myself into in my life and my relationship with God, I'm not going to like that. When Jesus comes as the light that we need, the contrast with our darkness is painful and we recoil and we lash out against him to try to shut off the light. Merely his illustration, in and of himself, his own life, merely his illustration of what it looks like to live right with God is, is implicitly offensive to us. Merely his telling us the simple truth of things. You do realize that you've chosen a life apart from God, and that means death, right? 
That is infuriating to hear that. It feels like the light is attacking us because we're in the darkness. It feels like an attack. But he's not attacking us. He doesn't want our destruction. His intentions toward us are only good. He says in verse 47, If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He's even talking about his intentions toward those who are remaining his enemies, remaining in the dark, who reject his word. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to save you. In other words, if anyone rejects him, if anyone hates him, if anyone disregards him, if anyone sins, well, that's exactly what Jesus came to save us from. He didn't come to judge us, to attack us. He came to forgive us. And that light, that knowledge that comes from the revelation of God through Jesus, is a surprise to those who are in in the darkness. If you can't stand the truth of the situation, if you can't bear the thought that you stand in need of his forgiveness, if you hear what Jesus says and you reject it, well, you're in real trouble. You're in real trouble. Because Jesus, he's come to save you, but he's declared the truth of the situation and you do stand in need of his forgiveness, whether you want to hear that or not, whether you accept it or not. You do stand in need of his forgiveness if you continue to oppose him as he has come to you in that mercy, he's come to you in mercy, then you're opposing mercy. And you're opposing the words of love that come from him. You oppose the gospel of grace from his lips and from his life, and you've condemned yourself in doing that. He says in verse 48, The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. So the word of truth that Jesus declares to you, it's the truth of God's love. It's the truth of God himself. And God's truth will stand forever precisely because it is God's truth. There could be no greater truth. He's told you what is real. And if you fight what is real, it doesn't change what is real. It just means you're someone who fights what is real. And, And that itself is the judgment that would stand against you if you continue to fight against his love and his mercy and his truth. He says in verse 49, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. So he's not sort of fretting. It might seem that way to some readers of this passage. He's he's not uh, worried that, well, they're not going to like what I have to say. So I'm going to say it, but then I'm going to blame it on God. Hey, don't shoot the messenger, right? I didn't come up with this stuff. It wasn't my idea. Don't get angry at me. That's not what he's saying. He always echoes perfectly what he hears from the Father. He loves to echo perfectly what he hears from the Father. He loves his Father's will. He loves to proclaim what the Father has given him to speak. He's the faithful witness, and his whole life resonates with God's truth. So he's pointing out the fact that his words actually have ultimate authority 
and you can't escape the authority of these words. They have ultimate authority not because he spoke them, but because his father gave them to him. And in fact, this is precisely why his words are to be kept. This is why we should listen to Jesus and obey him, believe him, do what he says. Precisely why his words are to be kept, because he didn't generate them himself. But because he's acting under the authority of the Father, and it's proof that he's the genuine article. C.K. Barrett is a commentator. He says that um, in his commentary on John's Gospel, Jesus is not a figure of independent greatness. He's the Word of God, or he's nothing at all. So the words that Jesus received from his Father, what to say and what to speak, and the words that he now echoes to us, these words are the truth of God that undergirds all reality. God gives his son the words of life. That's a special relationship. That's a unique relationship. God gives his son the words of life, and that's the eternal life of the Trinity. That's that's the eternal life of God himself, the triune God. And it's how the world was created because God gave the words of life to his son and his son is the one through whom the world was spoken into existence. God gives his son the words of life and that's how the world is saved. That's how he comes to save us from ourselves so that we would believe his words, believe God's words that undergird all our reality. God gives his son the words of life and that is ultimately how the world is judged. Because God has given his son the words of life, and if we disregard that, then it's trouble for us. Anyone who pits himself against God's truth, even though that truth is love and grace and mercy and life, that person has chosen against God, and that's death, and that's judgment. He said in verse 50, I know that his commandment is eternal life. That's good. Eternal life is good. I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. So Jesus has made it clear what it means to live with God. We've seen it in his life, and we've heard it in his words. He makes it clear what it means to live with God through faith Trusting God's good revelation of himself, depending and relying on God for life and for breath and for everything, in submission to God and and in submission to his ways, following Jesus in a life of love. Anything else, anything at all, is death. Moses declared um, in what we heard in the Old Testament reading that Jennifer read, uh, the Old Testament reading, that, that was his final sermon. That was Moses' final sermon, and he declared in Deuteronomy 30, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. Therefore, choose life. And that's the commandment. Choose life. There are a lot of parallels between our passage and Moses' final sermon. In the same way, Jesus, who is the great prophet, the one to come who would be like Moses, the scriptures said, the one who's 
greater than Moses. He has set life and death before us all clearly, and he has commanded us. And this is the Father's commandment. Eternal life. Choose life. He wants you to live. It's the explicit command that he has received from God, which he has faithfully and delightedly relayed to you. It is the substance of his preaching. It's the summary of all his preaching. The last chance he got to preach a sermon, the thing he really wanted the world to hear, was not some guilt trip. It was not some pep talk. It was not some self-help lecture, how to be a better person in X, Y, and Z ways by doing these 10 steps on Monday. That was not his final sermon. His final sermon was, believe my words as the very word of God. It means eternal life for you. Believing God's fatherly word is the very essence of eternal life, which I came to bring you. I came to give to you. I came to save you for eternal life with God. Believe it. Believe it and live. Do that. And you can be assured that this is the intention of God himself toward you. God himself. Because Jesus is the perfect divine echo. Because as he cried out in the beginning of his final sermon, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, not not only in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. Jesus is not just a messenger. He's not just a proxy. He's not coming up with a message that didn't generate with God. Whoever sees Jesus sees God. So do you struggle to believe that God wants you to live forever with him? Is that hard for you to believe? Well, this is God's clear word to you through his son Jesus, his final sermon. Live. Live through faith in him. How can it be, since we're sinners who regularly choose death, and that's what we're doing every time we sin, and that doesn't stop once you've been converted to Christianity, it doesn't stop in this life, our sin and our regularly choosing death. How can it be that we would live with God? Well, Moses, who was himself a sinner, he preached his final sermon, and then he was cut off. For his own sin, he was cut off from the land of the living. He died outside the promised land in the wilderness. He died for his own sin. But Jesus, the sinless one, when he preached his final sermon, he was cut off so that you might live. He didn't deserve to die, but he was cut off from the land of the living. He died as an outsider so that you might inherit the promise which is eternal life. And when you see that, when you see the cross, when you see him, Jesus, dead for you, then you're seeing God. You're seeing the ultimate truth behind which there is no deeper hidden truth. The deepest truth of God that you could know is wide open arms ready to receive you. The deepest truth of God is the sermon that declares life to you. Far from Jesus saying, I hope you get what you deserve. He cries out the very words of God, I hope you get what I deserve. And that's the divine echo. May it ring in our ears for eternity. Amen. 
Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we pray that you would keep Jesus before us all the time for our faith, for our hope, for our trust in you, for our life with you. Because when we see Jesus, your Son, who came to live as a human and to do all your holy will for us and among us and in our place, when we see Jesus, we're seeing you, we're seeing your intention toward us, we're seeing your good word toward us, and it is good. We pray for your Spirit's help that we would be able to see Jesus and live, to see Jesus and choose him and choose life and not death, to turn away from our death, to turn away from our sin and the judgment that awaits those who have arrayed themselves against you and your love. We pray that you would help us to believe your love for us. And as simple as that, help us to live forever with you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.